Welcome to Relax Your Grid. I'm your host, Matt Brown. In this episode, I interview Jason Carter, the Grammy Award-winning fiddler with the Del McCurry Band and the Travelin' McCurries. Jason has a new solo album that's entitled Lowdown Hoedown. The song selection is fantastic, the cast of supporting musicians is stellar, the fiddling is as good as you'd expect, but it's Jason's singing that steals the show. He's just beginning to tour the album, so make sure to go see him play your favorite venue. Patreon supporters of this show get a five-minute masterclass in which Jason demonstrates five bluegrass fiddle approaches to the Bill Monroe song Footprints in the Snow. To unlock that reward, go to patreon.com slash mattbrownsdream or click the link in the show notes. Here's my conversation with Jason. Jason Carter, welcome to Relax Your Grid. Hey, it's great to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. So we're recording this the day after the Grammy nominations were announced. Congratulations on yet another Grammy nomination for the best bluegrass album for the Del McCurry Band. Oh, thanks a million. Thanks. Yeah, that was pretty shocking. I mostly want to talk to you about your amazing new album, but I, it's going to be hard to resist asking about your years with Dell. So given that you've got this exciting news, um, another Grammy nomination, y'all have won a, a bunch of times, three times, I think. Let's just talk a little bit about what it's like to be the, the fiddle player in the Del McCurry Band. Sure. I'm a fiddle player myself, and I have to say, every time I see you folks perform, it is the most rewarding and easy experience as an audience member. Like at a festival... When your band comes on, like I feel like the I feel like the whole crowd can just relax and get really excited immediately. <laughs> Y'all are a well-oiled machine. You have so much fun, or it looks like you're having so much fun. Are you having as much fun as it looks like when you're up there? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, man, it's a blast to play with Dell. Man, he's he's the greatest. I read that you, as a teenager, saw the Del McCurry band and said, "I want to be the fiddler in that band." And now you are, and you've been for decades. Tell me a bit about like your memory of that and what it's been like since. Yeah, that's 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 kind of how it happened. I, I I when I first heard them, I didn't play uh, fiddle, so I was playing guitar, and I would have been, oh, uh, I don't know, a, a teenager. Uh, I think I started playing fiddle when I was fifteen, and I wound up getting the job when I was nineteen. Uh, but I saw them on a show called Fire on the Mountain. Uh, it was David Holt was the host. And the, so John Glick was playing fiddle, and it was really young Ron McCurry, Paul Silvius, and I think the bass player on that was Jack Leonard. So that was a it was smoking band, man. Those guys were incredible. One maybe my favorite Del McCurry band. Uh, but at the time I was a guitar player and I was huge into like Tony Rice. That's that was my guy. And and then I heard this sound of the Dell McCurry band and and was immediately drawn to Dell's guitar playing. And although he didn't play any lead, it was that rhythm. I could tell it was that was the sound of the band. That's what was carrying the band, you know. So I couldn't get it was just like when I heard Tony Rice, I couldn't get enough of it. And it's it's the same thing. And then, uh, you know, people would say, you know, what are you going to do when you get out of school? You know, of course, that's what they would grown-ups say to kids, you know, and it's like, well, I'm going to play in the Del McCurry band, you know, and that kind of got to be a, that's what, I, that was my answer, you know, I'm going to play music, this is what I do, I play guitar, and and I'm, I want to play in the Del McCurry band, you know, <laughs> so at one point, my dad, my dad kind of laughed, and he said, son, Del McCurry plays guitar, 
He's not, he has no need to hire you <laughs> as a guitar player. And he said, matter of fact, he said his sons play mandolin and banjo, and they're really good. They have joined the band. And uh, so, uh, so if you're going to be in that band, you're going to have to play fiddle or bass. And he's, and I was like, well, we don't have a bass. We have a fiddle here. So I immediately got on, started playing fiddle. <laughs> so my dad started me playing a couple tunes and I played mandolin as well. So I kind of knew a little bit of how to, where the notes were the, on the left hand. And, uh, man, that's, I've, I've learned, uh, a few fiddle tunes, just a, a handful. That was never my thing. I, and I always kind of was enjoyed more playing like song breaks and learning to back up a singer, uh, is, is where that, where my style went to from that on playing fiddle, I guess. But, uh, and, uh, a couple of years later, I, I graduated high school and it was like, then it was like, really now, what are you going to do? You know? And so I went to school to be a draftsman. I went to vocational school there in Ashland and I only went uh, a couple semesters and I got a job uh, and I was still going to school for part of this, but with the Goins brothers from Eastern Kentucky, I got a job playing fiddle and we started traveling and uh, I was, I wound up, I was with them for six months. And so that February after I graduated high school, we were down here in Nashville. I'd seen the McCurries at some festivals. Uh, and I, I kind of knew the guys, they kind of knew me as a guitar player more than a fiddle player though. Uh, and their fiddle player was Tad Marks from Maryland. Uh, anyway, Tad knew that I wanted that job, you know, and he, uh, at, at the Spigma Bluegrass Festival in Nashville, uh, it was the first of, first of February. I was down there and he come, Tad come up to me and he said, Hey man, I, I know you want, want my job. And he said, the McCurries are moving to, to Nashville and I'm not going to make a move so that there's going to be an opening. And if you want it, you should go talk to Dell. You know, you should go do this, man. I made a beeline and I found Dell McCurry. And uh, so I was like, Hey man, I just heard from your fiddler. He said, he's leaving the band. I'd love to play with you. And he's like, yeah, let me get your number. You know, he had never heard me play. I'm, I'm positive. He never heard me play. Uh, though uh, later that day he came, Dale walked through the dressing room, just like passing through and I'm playing art Stamper's fiddle. I'm standing there with art Stamper and I'm playing arts fiddle, which I, I couldn't play my own fiddle back then, but I had a strange fiddle and I thought he's never going to call me, but chances are he wasn't even paying attention as he walked through. But, uh, anyway, Man, two weeks later, I get a call, and it's uh, or just a, a week or so later, he calls me up and he said, "Hey, man, uh, you were the first to ask for the job, so you're the first to get to try out, and we're going to play in Nashville, Tennessee, West Memphis, Arkansas, and Garland, Texas. And if you want want to play with me, uh, you can come try out." And so I got uh, I came to Nashville. Me and my dad, my uncle, we made a trip down here. Dell had just bought a house in Millersville, Tennessee. So I stopped there and he was out washing the bus. So I 
I jumped in, helped watch the bus, and uh, he we were going to play the next day. And of course, uh, he, we were going to rehearse, run some tunes, you know, that day. And uh, this is kind of funny. <laughs> this is how gullible I was at that time, uh, or or just how not gullible, but just how young I was, you know, I guess. But uh, he said, "I've got to go pay the the electric bill." And I'll be back and and we'll rehearse. And I thought, what kind of world are we living in where Del McCurry has to pay an electric bill? <laughs> uh, so anyway, we re- we rehearsed and, and I went on the road with him, uh, played those shows. And and I got along well with all the guys. Mike Brantley was actually in the band playing bass then. And he, he later... Soon after that, he left too because he wasn't going to make the move, and Mike Bubb joined the band. But uh, me, Rob was the closest. Me and him's the closest in age, which Ronnie's only a couple of years older than than Rob. Uh, but <clears throat> we kind of hit a off. We both like to hunt and fish and and that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, so we we kind of hit it off pretty good. And when I got home, uh, they come back and they said, "Well, you know." We're trying people out, you know, and I was like, I didn't get it. And, and they said, well, if you want it, uh, you got the job, you know, and I've been there ever since. It's been 30 years. So that was February of 1992. Yeah, I had I had just turned 19. My birthday is February 1st. So I had just turned 19. This was the end of the month. The stars were lined up, man. I think, you know, it was just, uh, I think it was meant to be, you know. Are you on Blue Side of Town? No, that's Warren Blair, John Glick, and Tad Marks actually played on a couple cuts of that too. That come out whenever I joined the band. And that's the songs, that's the songs we were like, uh, that was the new record that we were playing, along with all the old stuff. I'll tell you another one, man, I have such a fan. I was such a fan of his music my senior year of high school. My mom would drive me down. Uh, I didn't have a car, so my mom would, uh, I only lived a couple miles from the school. I could have walked, but I, I would go to my buddy's house. She would drop me off there and I would uh, ride to school with him. But every morning, we did not miss a morning of, we listened to I Feel the Blues Moving In every morning of my senior year in high school uh, on the way to my buddy's house. That's how we started our day. So uh, she said she never got tired of it. I, I can't imagine ever getting tired of that track. Yeah, yeah. She We played it on the Opry the other day, and, and, uh, and she just said, that's a special one for me. You said something in in there that really blows my mind. So this is a podcast for people who really love music. And I came to the fiddle from the exact opposite side from you. So I, I grew up learning Suzuki violin, but learning old time fiddle tunes. Yeah. So when I got more into the bluegrass side of things and honky tonk fiddle, I was coming at it having learned hundreds of instrumental fiddle tunes, hoedowns, square dance tunes, waltzes. Yeah. And what I fell in love with as a teenager, so in the same same age that you were picking up the fiddle and and lusting after the gig in the McCurry band that's when I was I met Tracy Shores of the 
um, New Lost City Ramblers and Jenny Hawker and noticed how awesome it was that Tracy would play these solos between the, the, the chorus and the next verse of a Hazel Dickens song or a Stanley Brothers song that they would do. And it just blew my mind. Like after years, you know, more than 10 years of learning fiddle tunes, like, oh, the fiddle can be kind of like a jazz saxophone player, like to take a solo yeah. on a song. Yeah. Because I, I hadn't grown up listening to bluegrass. I grew up listening to, you know, dance music. When you were learning the fiddle, whose fiddle playing did you model yourself after in terms of playing on songs? All right. So uh, at that time, again, I was listening to Tony Rice. So anybody that was on a Tony Rice record, so it was being like Bassard Clemens, Ricky Skaggs, Bobby Hicks, Sam Bush, uh, and then all of Dale's fiddle players, Warren Blair, uh, John Glick, Tad Marks, uh, Sonny Miller, you know, those were some of the, uh, the key ones, Billy Baker. Uh, uh, yeah, those were, would have been, and then see, I didn't, uh, I had heard people had told me about Benny Martin and I, I got into, especially when I got with Dale, they told me, they, they kind of talked to me about him, but I had heard of him and started trying to learn some of those breaks. And man, he was just incredible. One of my all time favorites. Uh, and then when I moved to Nashville, I got to meet Benny. We got to hang out and, uh, I got some cool stories about him as well, but, uh, he would be, him and John Hartford would be at the jams that we'd be at. And of course I didn't want to play in front of Benny and, and he would tell me to get my fiddle and get your fiddle out, get your fiddle out. And I'd be like, no, nah, man. And, uh, but then when it would be in the jam and it had come time for the fiddle break, he'd, he set his fiddle down in his lap and just looked at me and said, get your fiddle out. Like he wasn't going to play until I got it out. Then I would get it out and, uh, and play. And, um, um, he would show me stuff, you know, there was a couple other guys back home too that was uh, big influences on me. Besides my uncle Curly Parker, my dad, all those musicians around home. But a couple of the keys was uh, Gerald Evans, who played. Uh, you can hear Gerald on some of Dave Evans' records, uh, and Melvin Goins, the, the who I joined. Uh, Gerald had played with them just a year or so before I did. But those guys always jammed in my hometown like every week. And I'd go and Gerald would show me stuff. And then there was another guy named Jerry Deer from Ironton, Ohio, that played in a band with me and my dad. So uh, I got a lot from those guys. Jerry Deer was incredible. Uh, more of a polished fiddle player. You know, and, uh, he knew all the double stops and the Del Potter stuff. And, and uh, that's the first guy I ever saw play those 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 type of double stops, you know, like on fiddle patch or fiddle sticks boogie or something like that. Jerry could play all that stuff. That's awesome. The whole Tony Rice question makes me think about your brand new album, which is part of why I wanted to get you on this podcast. I I had the the pleasure of interviewing Bronwyn Keith Hines a couple episodes ago, and after we stopped recording, she told me that you were working on a record. I knew it wasn't out yet because I would have been listening to it. So she said. Once it comes out, I'll hook you up with Jason. Y'all can talk about it. And finally, the record's out. We've been devouring it. I just drive around Louisville here, just like listen to it over and over again. I go to the gym. I listen to it. Um, it's super cool that 
you started as a guitar player. Tony's albums were really important to you. You transitioned into being a fiddle player, make a name for yourself that way. And you make this gorgeous new album with you as a front man, as a singer, as a fiddle player. But some of the people on your record here are people who played with Tony. Yeah. And it just makes, it reminds me of like in this style of music, like how much overlap there is between the generations. Like that you have Sam Bush playing mandolin on your record and you have Flux on your record. Like, and and you record a Vassar Clemens tune. Like there's so much overlap between, you know, the generation that inspired you. Some of those people are on your album um, playing, you know, in Sam's case, he's playing mandolin while you're playing fiddle. But um, I listen to a lot of Manzanita in particular, and Sam's on there playing fiddle a lot, um, along with Ricky and Daryl on, on the track Manzanita. It, it makes me want to ask you all sorts of questions about the new record, but it, it's cool to hear all that backstory. Like the, the new album makes it even more sense now, knowing all of that. You know, Jerry produced the Del McCurry band uh, in the early days, or early the, my early days with the band. Oh, cool! All all those records. So I that's where I met Jerry, and at this time when I did mine, he got me on. Uh, Jerry had got me on a session with Molly Tuttle for Molly's new record, and uh, Sam is the same. Uh, Sam, we've been on so many uh, shows with festivals and and things, and played together on stage and and. So I've kind of got to know him as well. And and for them to be on my album, man, I, honestly, I just can't believe that everybody that I asked said yes, you know, and, and it worked out. And it's kind of a dream come true, man. It, uh, it, it's not kind of a dream come true. It is a dream come true to get all these people together to play, that they come and, and would, would play with me on this. It's incredible. I'm blown away. <laughs> it's such a fun listen. And... I have so many thoughts about it. Let's see if I can get get to them in any particular order. Um, one of them is I was delighted to learn, not that long ago, really, um, soon before it came out, that you were going to be singing on most of the album. You know, I Bronwyn mentioned you were making a record. I don't think I assumed either way if it was going to be a bunch of instrumentals or not, but I just didn't think too hard about it. Yeah. But then I realized, oh, wow, it's like Jason's going to sing which made a lot of sense to me because like, like 2 million other people, I've seen the YouTube video of you singing for what it's worth, the Buffalo Springfield tune um, with all sorts of folks, including Sierra Hall. Um, I'll share the link to that. If, if people haven't heard, heard you sing on that one, but I remember, you know, we're on YouTube looking for one thing or another, that video popped up a couple years ago or whenever, or whenever it came out, it's like, Oh wow, Jason, like I've, all, I've heard you sing with the band, you know, sing baritone with the band. I guess low baritone. Yeah. But um, haven't heard you sing lead a lot at shows. But on that video, it was like, oh, yeah, he's a singer. And, you know, you've been standing on stage with with one of the best singers of all time for 30 some years. So that that doesn't hurt. Yeah. (laughs) But I just love that you that you made an album that a fiddle player will enjoy because, of course, there's great fiddling throughout. But this is a singer's album. This is a this is a beautiful album of songs. Um, with this all-star cast that that is a dream come true for you but I I'm curious did it feel like a risk or like a you were taking a chance by doing all this singing or did it just seem natural to you because it sounds natural yeah no I I, I think it felt kind of natural I, I wanted to that's what I wanted to do you know I I I really you know I I would like to do a fiddle record you know I'd like to do an instrumental record uh, but I would want to do something like for me and and that would be like recording a bunch of like traditional 
hoedown fiddle tunes that's already been done. You know, I have, I don't really write tunes. I've wrote a couple, uh, but I would, th that's one thing I would like to do is just to go in and, and just take a day and, and record like every fiddle tune that I know, which is not very many. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, this felt, kind of felt natural, you know, I mean, to, uh, I've been singing some with the, with the travel McCurry's, you know, and, and some of the couple of these tunes we do with them. And I didn't think that we would record uh, a couple of these tunes like for a travel McCurry's record. So I had those and, and I wanted to use the travel McCurry's on my record only on a couple of tunes. I wanted it to be different than what a travel McCurry's record would be. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I I don't know. I I had a bunch of songs that I've 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 liked, and uh, for for several years, some of these songs I've I've been sitting on these, and uh, and I thought, man, now's the time. I have I have the time to do this, uh, and I might as well do it now. Uh, so for sure, was this was this a pandemic project for you? Like you were stuck at home, and I was like, I might as well do the record now. I think so. Yeah. And, and, and I tell you, uh, just watching Bronwyn too. I mean, her work ethic is, is, man, she's, she's just a go-getter. <laughs> Seeing how she works kind of inspired me to want to do this too. Cause she just put out a record herself, you know, and, uh, and I thought, you know, it's time for me to do this, you know, and that was a big part of it. She, she helped me too. You know, we'd sit, we sit around here all the time and play music and, that's kind of what we do. And, uh, so it was nice to, uh, just to be hanging out in the evening and, and just be able to work on these tunes, you know? <laughs> so when you were working on these tunes before you recorded them, would you get out a guitar and sing and she'd play fiddle? Is that cause that, yeah, most of the time. Yeah. Cause I, I, yeah, that's just kind of the, kind of the go-to, you know, I, I, She's pretty good at playing fiddle and singing, <laughs> but not me. Uh, but yeah, that's exactly what I would do. I'm a record producer when I when I have a chance to be. And so as soon as I heard your record as a fiddle player, I was like, okay, wait, how did he make this album? Um, as a fiddle player and a singer, did you do one take with no fiddle in your hand and you were just singing um, and then come back and do all your fiddle parts? Or how did, how did that go together? Man, it... Uh... We did it. I did it live on one mic, but I, then I had to come back and redo most, most everything. Uh, there are some things that it did. Uh, we did keep, um, the song queen of the Nashville nights. I played a long solo on the end of that. And, uh, that was, I think that's one of the things that we kept that was, uh, just pretty much live.
even some of the vocal, we use some of that vocal of, from what went down. But my uh, the guy, my co-producer, Brent Truitt, and he's also the engineer on this, he had a microphone that he liked for the fiddle and for the vocal, the same mic. So, so he, but it has to be set a certain way for your vocal and then down till turned down for your, uh, for the, uh, fiddle. So anyway, I, you know, I went back and read it, resung a, almost everything and probably played, uh, played fiddle on a bunch of it too. If there was stuff that we could keep and the tone was nice, we kept it. I've seen the Del McCurry band, I don't, you know, now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever actually seen the Traveling McCurries, which is so strange because I've seen the Dell band with you in it like 10 times. Oh, well. Um, I've seen you sing, you know, play f- fiddle breaks, of course, and fills and all of that, and then jump up and sing on a chorus. So I know you can switch re- like naturally. Yeah. But it's a lot different to be the lead and maybe have all the fiddle parts you want that you would be playing if someone else were singing. Yeah. Um, so I would, as, as a fiddle player who has done some producing, I immediately was very curious what, what combination of things you did so that, so that the record sounded as full to you as a fiddle player and as a singer. Yeah. I, you know what, when we were recording, uh, doing the tracks, I, I just wanted to make sure I had all, you know, you know, I had Jerry Douglas for a couple of days and it's like, I, I want to make use of that time and be able to, Get as much of him as I can, or Sam, or David Greer, or Cody Kilby, or whoever it was. When I had them, I wanted to be able to use them, and and I could concentrate on my my stuff later. How many of the days in the studio did you have a room full of people versus like one or two guys coming in at a time? Like, did you get to be in a in the studio with with a full band's worth of people? Yes. Okay. Cool. We tracked with a full band. Yeah, great. It sounds like it. If 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 it was, if it was a lot of overdubs, you would have fooled me because it sounds isolated but live. Yeah, that's that's one great thing I love about playing with Jerry and uh, uh, like when we uh, recorded with Molly. Uh, I remember one of those uh, one of those tunes. Dominic had a great mandolin solo on. And the track itself wasn't the the best track. Uh, so we didn't use the, they didn't use the track with the great mandolin solo. And then there was another track that, uh, that I think I had a better pass on, of course, but it wasn't the best overall track and they used a different one, but it's, it was seemed like they were going for that live feel. And so it was the same thing. Like on my record, we all played everything as it went down and it's like, yeah, asking, do y'all have anything to fix? And it's like, oh, maybe this one little thing or, or no, I'm good. Uh, and it's like, awesome. Perfect. It's not going to, not going to sound stale or, or, or perfect, or, uh, it's going to sound like real music, you know, uh, being played like five guys, <laughs> five people playing, you know, I'm so glad you brought this up. This was actually the, like the underlying thought that I wanted to cover with you on your record because obviously everyone on everyone you brought in is a great player and singer. You have some of my favorite singers, um, Tim O'Brien, Aoife Donovan, Sarah Jaros, uh, Billy Strings and yourself, like Del singing harmony to you. Like it's just it's for a fan of singing, it's it's like a dream come true. And then the cast of instrumentalists is amazing. But 
the record avoids that trap of modern bluegrass that sometimes people fall into of just trying to make it so flawlessly um, post-produced, I guess, that it's lifeless at the end. Yeah. And and I would never have said, you know, I've like I told you, I've seen you play with Dell countless times. There's so much life on stage when you when you all play. And this record, though it's like really high, like the execution is very high. There's so much life in it as well. And on, on that track, um, that tune of that you play of Vassar's, like it has a little bit of like the Vassar like edginess and like out of out of the blue quality and a little like wild and wooly that you conjure up and you play that, you know, that tag that he plays on the old and the way record. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and it's like, a, it's like a really nice tribute to Vassar and like how he kind of pushed. It's like, no, like it, this doesn't have to be like highly processed. It doesn't have to be quote unquote perfect. Like let's have all the life and the energy in there. And, and I feel like you really achieved that in, in a beautiful way. It was a lot of fun doing it. I can tell you that. If you don't mind, I would like to just talk through a couple of the songs on the record because I made some notes um, Absolutely. to myself just to try and stay organized. The fun thing, I think, about how you kick off the record is it's the song King of the Hill, Bruce Hornsby number. For the first time, I listened to Hornsby's version last night. Oh, cool. After I actually I heard your version first Yeah. Um, over and over again. And I was like, well, I should probably listen to Bruce do it. And what I, what I was fascinated by is is on the hornsby recording the the snare drum is doing kind of a bluegrass shuffle that y'all conjure up really clearly like without sounding like you're just trying to mimic um someone else but i feel like this cut is such like it's such a sleeper in terms of like where did you even get this song in terms of like all the songs possible but it's a brilliant way to start the record and like it it states dennis dennis crouch's incredible bass playing right off the bat and Jerry Douglas is playing and the Sam Bush groove. Like, it's just like, you could not start stronger, but like, I'm, I'm always delighted that this is the first song. Cause it's like surprising. And Russ Carson on banjo. Totally. <laughs>
so you've got like you, you've got these different inputs that you know a couple different generations and like what what a great band um and what a great song like how, how did you get into this song man uh this is real simple we came in from a trip and uh we flew in and i went to get the car and uh our sound man key chain he had drove to the airport that time and i went to get his car and to load up the gear or to bring it around uh while they got the gear and then we loaded it but anyway that song was playing when i got in this car and i had done uh white wheeled limousine white wheeled limousine with the with the travel on the curries and <clears throat> that's uh then i heard this one and i was like man i've got to look more into this i knew bruce uh i knew some of his songs but i'd never heard this and i thought man this is a, this would be a great bluegrass song you know and uh so I started working on it and Cody Kilby uh, helped me out a lot with this, with the arrangement. And uh, Cody and Russ actually come over to the house and we've worked this up, just us, uh, before we went in the studio. David Greer and Dennis Crouch actually come to my house too. To, we've worked on some stuff. And, uh, but th I was going to say that was one good thing about me playing guitar is I could kind of get a jump start on working up some of the arrangements on these tunes without having to have too much asking these people to, you know, to come over and spend half a day with me to arrange a song, you know? So it was, uh, anyway, I'm getting long winded, but that's, that's where I got the song is from, uh, uh, from key Chang. <laughs> and that's, that's the first song that we recorded. Uh, that was the first one that we on the first session. That was the, that's how we got the record started off. And uh, I think my nervousness immediately ended when we started playing, just because it felt felt so good, you know, with those guys. You know, it's, it's like it's this this everything's going to be fine, <laughs> you know. I've got to circle back to the Tony Rice thing on this for a couple of reasons. Um, I love learning today that that Tony was like a huge inspiration for you because I feel like you've got a rich baritone voice like he did and you're singing a little lower in the register on some of these whereas he would often pitch things a little bit high but one thing that we all love about Tony is like he's a brilliant storyteller like he wasn't known as a songwriter but he'd sing these songs and you would just believe every word he sang like it was just like he was telling you a great story and what I love about your singing and it really shines on this track and on the rest of the record is you've got that same quality, like the rich voice, oh, man. but like, you're telling me a story and I'm just like, I'm like, okay, what, ha then what happened? What, what, what happened next? Jason, like, tell me like, <laughs> like some people sing and it's like, they're just like, they're trying to show you like, look, I can sing. And the way Tony sings, the way you're singing here is more like, I've got something I want to tell you. That's where singing as an interaction between the singer and the listener is like way more, interesting yeah rather than like i'm going to show off i'm going to show you everything i can do with yeah. my voice well i i don't i don't feel that i could do a whole lot with my voice so but you can tell these stories really well and i that's what i'm trying to say is well i i appreciate it the other the other note i made which is why i'm lingering on this tony rice thing before we move on is that when i listen to this song on, on my headphones and can really hear everything um dennis's bass playing on this track in particular Reminds me so much of Todd Phillips on Manzanita. Oh. 
just like with a little bit more on the front edge. Like he's like, I feel like he's pushing a little bit more than Todd. Like Todd's maybe a little bit more in the center of the beat. Maybe Dennis is a little bit more in front here. Um, but knowing now that, that Tony was a big influence on you, um, it's just, I, I just love it. And it makes so much sense how you put the song together um, and what Dennis is channeling and then having people like Sam and Jerry on the, uh, on the record who, who did play with, with Tony a bit. Yeah. On this podcast, I always like to feature a full-length track from from the guest's album. And the one that I'm most excited about and, and that I just think is like the, the most interesting of, of all these interesting songs is the second cut on the record, the John Hartford song, um, with a long-winded name, <laughs> the six o'clock train and a girl with green eyes. I'd love to chat with you about it, and then and then we'll we'll listen to it. But tell me tell me how you got into this song. Uh, Mike Bubb brought this song to me, or or uh, the former bass player with the Del McCurry band. Uh, uh, when we started the Travel McCurries, we were doing like a medley, and it had uh, a couple John Hartford songs in it, and Bub heard it. And he said, hey, Jace, he said, you should do this uh, six o'clock train uh, and and put it in that medley, you know. And I heard the song and I, I, I really liked it. And we we never really worked it up. And uh, so when it come time to record, I hadn't I, I, I thought about this song and really liked it. And uh, Sam Bush is on the John Hartford version of this. Uh, and uh, I think it's Buddy Emmons playing steel. It's really, really cool. Uh, but anyway, so I, I, I just tried to learn the learn the tune. Uh, it was the second tune that we recorded. On the, it happens to be the the second tune on the record too. But it's this, the the second one that we did on the session, and uh, yeah, so. Uh, of course I wanted Jerry on it and, uh, and to have Sam on it too was way cool because he, he was on the, on the John Hartford record of this or one of John's records. He recorded it a, a few times. Uh, Cody Kilby on guitar and, and, uh, Dennis Crouch on, on bass. And then, uh, so we, we tracked this song first and, and I loved what Cody Kilby played on guitar on this. And then uh, I needed harmony. And this was one of the last ones that I had before my, I finished my record. And I hadn't had anybody sing on this. I couldn't figure out who to get. And uh, I thought of, of Billy Strings. And I and I and so I sent him the tune and I asked him if he would sing on it. And he's like, yeah, man, this is cool. He said, I got to, he said, it's in my, it's in my, uh, range he said i can i can do that yeah and we set it up man and he came over and i i thought man i don't want to get rid of cody's guitar because it's just so good and uh <clears throat> anyway billy brought his guitar i thought man it's i have to get billy to play something on it you know and he was like i'll just play backup i'll play some backup stuff and so all that backup, beautiful backup guitar is Billy Strings playing on it. And he come in and knocked the vocal out of the park, man. And just, uh, 
it was just incredible. Uh, so me being a fan of the guitar, like I am, <laughs> to have Cody Kilby and Billy Strings play on this, two of the greatest. Uh, and what a band, you know? I mean, Jerry Douglas is so good. And Sam, uh, Dennis, it's uh, those guys just knocked it out of the park, you know? For sure. And and it's a, it's a band that's renowned for their work with incredible singers, too. Like, of course... Of course, Jerry Douglas and Sam have been associated with some amazing instrumental music, but I feel like all of so much of my favorite Jerry Douglas work is when he's playing on a song. Me too. And 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 Sam, a lot of the, a lot of the same stuff. That that combination, the combination with, with Jerry and Tony is you can't beat it. <laughs> it was just what the, those guys did together was top shelf, man. Yeah. Part of why I wanted to feature this, and we'll we'll play it next, is um, your fiddle solo. I feel like you're evoking a little bit of Daryl and a little bit of Vassar, and then a whole lot of you. And so I can hear like I can hear Jason, but I can also hear like you as part of this constellation of like bluegrass fiddle people. Oh, and um, that's a beautiful thing. Like one of the ways that I really really respect your playing is that I I don't think of you as having like any particular licks that you always fall back on. You don't have like default, like, oh, I'm just going to phone it in here and just play like this thing I've played 20 times on 20 different songs. Um, and and once again, you do not do that. You, like there's no phone it in. It's like this. This is peak Jason Carter. But I can I can hear references to some of these other fiddlers who have been important in this side of bluegrass. Oh, cool, man. <laughs> I don't really remember much of what I played on that tune other than uh there was like a line that there's a fiddle line in there in the backup. And I don't remember if that was like uh, a string section or if it might've been a string section on John, one of John's records that I tried to copy just, uh, or play around with. Uh, I don't remember what, what the solo, uh, if I was, had anybody, any one person in mind, I was trying to copy or, I, I or steal from, <laughs> I don't know, maybe all of them. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think it's more, it probably says more about me as a listener than you as a fiddler, like that. I'm like making these connections of like, Oh, that sounded a little bit like Daryl sounded a little bit like Vassar. And if I sound a little bit like Daryl any day of the week, I, I, I would be satisfied. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same. Let's, uh, let's give it a listen. Concentrate on waiting Wondering if she will know my face And trying to remember It might have been the time or maybe might have been the place In an underground railroad station Just out of the rain So much depends on the six o'clock train We're almost straight up and down 
Way back in that dark black tunnel I thought I heard the sound Will she know me when she sees me Or wait to hear my voice about Paper Angel, which which David Greer wrote, um, co-wrote. Has he recorded this song before? I couldn't find it on Spotify, at least. No, I don't think this song has ever been recorded. Uh, no. Tell me about it, because Greer's on guitar, and he helped to write it. Yeah, Greer uh, came up with the music, I think. I think Robert Gately actually wrote the words on this. Uh, I'm not 100% on that, but uh, Robert Gately's another great musician that was uh, around the Cotton Town White House area. I used to live up there, and he used to have jam sessions. Anyway, uh, we used to play some music together. Robert's an incredible musician. David Greer. Uh, yeah, so David uh, 
during the pandemic, he was playing uh, uh, streaming shows like every week. And I was watching some of those shows and he was playing this with a, with a full band. And I, man, I was like, this is great. of the night I listen to the lonesome sounds of silence till daylight Remembering a time you were just a touch away But if you use your place now you're far, far away You were my dear little angel and narrow love so true was created as the one for me and for you. There again when I hear your voice or feel your warm embrace. And only in a picture will I ever see your face. Now you're just a paper angel. Since the breath of life has passed, a silent paper David and I used to hang out years ago. Uh, I used to live more, more so like, I'm back in Hendersonville now, Tennessee, and I used to live down in Nashville. And I'd moved like up to Portland, Cottontown, and, I, and at that time I, I didn't go out very much anymore. And once I got back down here closer to town, I started going, going back out and I kind of reconnected with, with Greer. And on my first record, David was uh, a huge help to me on my record. He, he wrote like four or five tunes and brought me other tunes when I recorded my first record. So, so I, I was thinking about doing songs and uh, I, I told David, I said, man, I like this song. I said, did you write it? And he's like, yeah, he said, I've got a couple. He said, I got several. I've, uh, I said, man, I'd love to hear them. I'm going to record. And he said, oh yeah, man. So he starts singing me these tunes and I, uh, Paper Angel was one of them. Uh, and I loved it. I, uh, it, it made for like a really good fast song. Dust Bowl Dream is the other one, uh, that I really, really liked. Uh, and I think that's all, I think David wrote everything, music and the words and all that to that song. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's how Paper Angel came about, man. We just, uh, I, I kind of reconnected with Greer and he, but we were at the same some jam sessions together and uh, just started hanging out and, uh, and he was cool with letting me record his song. So, yeah. Yeah. My experience with Greer is that guy's always down to jam. Like I feel like every time I've been in Nashville, I've ended up at a jam and there's David with his guitar and he'll play with anyone. Right. Um, I've played in a couple of jams with him and he's like, just so like, he just wants to pick. Yeah. That's like, do yeah. you want to pick is like the only question I think I've ever heard him ask. When I moved into this house, uh, when I moved here, I had like a little picking party, cooked a bunch of food up and, and David, David, it was his birthday. I think it was, uh, and, uh, I invited him up 
and uh, he was the first one here and the last one to leave. And when he got here, I was still cooking some stuff, getting things ready for everybody. He said, I want to play you these songs that I wrote. <laughs> so he sat down at the kitchen table here and, and started playing. And uh, they were incredible. They were incredible. But man, he uh, he played all night. And he will do that every day. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what he does. He plays music, you know, and, and loves it. That's why he's so good. Uh, first one here, last one to leave. He jammed all night long. It was incredible. When you're not on the road, do you play all day and all night? I know you and, you and Bron will sit down and like play twin fiddle stuff, but like how much of your day is playing versus fishing or hunting or going to the grocery or just watching Netflix? I, I've started teaching during the pandemic. So I, I, I play uh, a lot doing that. And then I, I don't know, I play more now than I ever have around around home and i have to credit bronwyn with that i I really do uh she's actually working on another record too and so we've been working uh trying to work some stuff up for that during the pandemic we worked up a lot of tunes and now uh there's not a lot of tv we don't watch a lot of tv at all It's, it's just mostly music and we'll sit and uh we haven't worked up a lot of twin stuff but we'll just sit and play, play tunes and jam, just the two of us. And it's, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I'd, I'd listen to that. I'd listen to you two play all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and now it's like now I've, so we've got, I've got all that to work on. I've got a couple sessions to do. Uh, and I've got to start learning these tunes again that I recorded because it's, it's been a year ago, over a year ago, but since we recorded the record well over a year and I'm going to also do some tour dates with this record at the end of January, hopefully February. Oh, great. Uh, do a couple runs. So I don't know if I'll make it to Louisville or not, but, uh, maybe, uh, I would love to love to make it up that way. So, yeah, we'd love to see you. Do you know who the band will be for those sh- run of shows? The first run, uh, is myself and Cody Kilby, Alan Bartram, Ashby Frank, and, Corey Walker. Oh, cool. And Corey was on those, um, those live David Greer streams that you mentioned. Yes. Those were so absolutely. good. Yeah. I have so many questions for you, but I, I don't want to take up your whole day. I, let's do two more. All right. Um, the cover of the album is a gorgeous photo of you. Can you tell us about that photographer? Cause I think it's just like a beautiful portrait. Yeah, man. Th- that's a uh, Michael Weintraub. Uh, Michael does the, uh, I, you should, uh, you look him up. Uh, he did the uh, instrument head. He's got a book, instrument head, two books actually. I think is what he has out. Uh, but do yourself a favor. He's got some cool, uh, really great, great shots of all kinds of amazing musicians. And uh, where was the place we played down at Brooklyn Bowl? And, and they had all a bunch of his artwork in the backstage area and around that place. Uh, but uh, yeah, Michael Weintraub, and he's from Nashville. It's a beautiful shot. Um, I'm going to wrap this up because I think we spent almost as much time before we hit record as we did after. Um, <laughs> right. But I want to I want to ask you on 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 Mike before we go. Just tell me a little bit again about Curly Parker um, and that Ed Haley connection because I've I've talked about Ed Haley on this podcast. Um, I think you mentioned Curly in passing when we were recording, um, and just like you're growing up hearing him and. Um, yeah, just so folks know to check him out, and I'm reminded to check him out too. Yeah, right. So, all right. So, C- 
Curly Parker, uh, he was, I think he was my great uncle and he's a fiddle player from Kentucky. Um, he and my dad, uh, played in a band together when I was just a little kid. Um, and my dad would go to Curly's house to try to learn to play fiddle. And I would go up there. Curly had this great guitar. It was like a pre-war, uh, uh, Martin D28. And I would get to play this guitar, which was really, even at a young age, I knew I, there was really something cool that I was getting to do by playing this guitar. Anyway, uh, I remember Curly, uh, playing and showing dad tunes and, uh, and he would talk about Ed Haley. And so this was in Russell, Kentucky and, uh, which is right really close to Ashland. Um, so Ed Haley was from Ashland and I, I'm, I'm sure, uh, Curly passed away when I was pretty young, but I remember he talked about Ed Haley a lot. So I'm, I, I'm sure that he got to know him, uh, down through the years. So not long ago, I was on an airplane and I, I just, uh, I started looking up trying to find music by Curly Parker and I found there's some things on YouTube, uh, and I was looking for something on my phone, but I couldn't find the recording. Uh, but there's a rounder record, and I think it's called Along the Ohio Shore or something like that. And it, it's a fiddle player's music all along the Ohio River. And it, they have a, a Curly's on there. He does a couple things, and he does like an Ed Haley medley. And there's also a song on there. I don't know if there's a title for the song or not. I don't know. Uh, but it's real cool. Uh, uh, Curly said, uh, he, he said, uh, it sounds something like Billy in the low ground. It goes from a minor to C. Uh, it was super cool for me to hear this because it, I heard his voice and I hadn't heard it since I was maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, probably 10, I think. Uh, and I, here I am on an airplane listening on my phone and, and you talk about bringing back some memories, man. It was really cool. Uh, but anyway, I was telling you about uh, Curly. He would rock the fiddle and he would play. There would be like a, uh, you might hear something like in a song like Katie Hill in the second part of Katie Hill. Da, 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 da. He would play that, that run. And uh, he would, he would get that by rocking the fiddle back and forth. And, uh, I remember him showing my dad that, and um, I, I kind of had forgot about that. And of course, now I use like a shoulder rest on my fiddle, so I can't, I can't do that. And one day I found myself without it, and I, and that came into mind. Anyway, and I think what brought it to mind was a, a John Hartford record. Uh, uh, it was a John Hartford record uh, of Ed Haley tunes, and John sang something on there. And he talked about uh, he, the one of the lines was Ed rocked the fiddle, and that immediately made me think of Curly. So, uh, yeah. So, and and I wonder uh, if that's where Curly got that rocking the fiddle. I don't remember what he said, but I bet that's where that came from. I bet he got that from Ed Haley. So, but he could do it. Curly could do it so smooth you wouldn't know it. I mean, it was like he was doing it with the bow, you know? It's one of the things that 
I think modern players, especially old time players who are learning, you know, Ed Haley tunes or whatever, like don't even think about they're getting set up with chin rests and shoulder rests and getting the violin as stable as possible. And then your bow arm has to do everything. Yeah. But some of these older players, if they didn't have something locking the fiddle in place, like you said, they could move the fiddle instead of the bow. Yeah. Yeah. Or some combination of them and maybe get a sound that we can't get to when our, when our shoulder rest is forcing the violin to stay in one spot. I I wonder too would it be a would it have been a a show thing you know right you know for just just to be able to rock that fiddle back and forth and it's moving up and down and, <laughs> and still playing the tune you know yeah uh, yeah I wonder uh, look up Curly Parker yeah he's some some really cool cool fiddle playing will do Jason it's been a complete honor to talk to you um, I've been a fan of yours as long as I can remember and you've always been so. Um, inspiring on stage and and a great guy to chat to so thanks for taking the time and um i love the record it's just it's fantastic man thanks a million Relax Your Grid is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Matt Brown. Tim Brown provides post-production assistance. Otto Allard is the designer. Max Allard played the bluegrass banjo interludes that you hear interspersed throughout. Tune in next time for my interview with Brittany Haas and Paul Cowart. And until then, relax your grid.